0: He's thinking ahead on our themes to the meat finished <laughs> bourbon. Oh yeah, it's, it's probably
1: happening one day.
0: Oh gosh, yeah. Uh, if, if Slim
2: Jim hasn't jumped into this yet, they need to. Mm. It's got to taste better than Brana. So,
1: Ooh, thirty
0: seconds down in, down <laughs> who had the who had the under on a minute? <laughs>
2: this is bourbon pursuit the official podcast of bourbon bringing to you the best in news reviews and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen and i'm one of your hosts kenny coleman well it's everyone's favorite episode it's the bourbon community roundtable and this is the 83rd edition and on this episode we'll say it gets passionate at times because this is tackling the craze of finished bourbons The first topic is seemingly the abundance of what we call the cigar blend, or the cigar batch of bourbons. But why is this so attractive? Can't anything be called a cigar blend? What are the guardrails? What really entails that? And I kinda thought the whole point of a good cigar and a good bourbon is because they already naturally pair well together. And that, of course, spins into some more Ambarana talk, and you know how that ends up. In the second half of the show, I turned my attention to the major distilleries, who are starting to now put out finishes as they're limited or special releases. And now, there's not a problem with that, but these distilleries have an abundance of really good bourbon. So why play the game of finishes when you can rely on something like special releases with double-digit age statements? With that, enjoy this week's episode, and now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char.
1: I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Eric Myers, who writes me on fredminnick.com. One of my friends had the idea of creating a whiskey trust so that in the unfortunate event of someone's early demise, arrangements were already in place for his bottles to be in the hands of trusted people who could enjoy them. Do you have any ideas or thoughts or how to set something like that up? Well, Eric, I gotta tell you, that is a wonderful idea, a wonderful question, and it is as simple as a will. I, in fact, have um, notations for what to do with my whiskey in the event of my demise if something happens in my will. When people pass away, their stuff goes into the estate and inevitably the nephews, daughters, sons, they get it and they don't understand like what this was all about. And they probably don't even care that you had friends that would want to enjoy them too. There's like, how can I make money off of this? That's how estates are normally kind of divided up, like it's kind of sad, really. If you think about it, when you walk into an estate sale, like someone died, this was like their life and we're just parceling it out like it's a grocery store or something. It's, it's always, estate sales have always been weird for me, even though I have gone to quite a few of them. But I think if you have a lawyer or if you don't have a lawyer, you should get a lawyer to draft you up a will and just be very specific about your whiskey collection. I see no reason why that wouldn't be cool. And I think that's a really good way of protecting your collection uh, after something happens to you. And God forbid, you know, Eric, you're gonna be on this planet for a very long time, but I think that's a very good way to think about your collection, making sure it's in the hands of people who enjoy the category. Because so many people get into this, get these bottles, and they don't know anything about them. But if you can bequeath them to a friend, uh, make sure a loved one gets them that enjoys whiskey, it, it can mean the world. And I'll tell you, I am a benefit of that with my father-in-law. My father-in-law passed away last year and he bequeathed me his entire cigar collection. And the man loves cigars and pipe tobacco. And uh, we have, I think we have 3,000 cigars, I mean, it is insane how many cigars we have, and I don't smoke that often anymore. So it is rewarding. Every single time we smoke one, we think of uh, my father-in-law, Charles. So just remember that too. When you give, a, give your bottle away in your will, just know that your friends will be toasting you every single time, hopefully. Maybe they cussing you, I don't know. That's gonna do it for this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you would like to be like Eric Myers, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminick.com. Click the contact button. And if I like the idea, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers.
2: you can order online at Sealbox or the thebourbonconcierge.com and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea Hey everybody, welcome to another fantastic episode of Bourbon Pursuit, but also the 83rd edition of the Bourbon Community Roundtable. And this is by far, this is a really good one because, of course, I was born in 1983, and so that's why I figured this has got to be the perfect number. This is going to be an amazing episode that we dive into, and maybe this is something that I looked at when I was trying to think of some topics, and I said, well, here I go again with talking about everything I hate, so let's go ahead and... And he just wants to everything to be focused about himself, his birth year, and no, I'm kidding, his topics he wants to talk. I like to make sure I'm the center of attention every once in a while, you know, just get my, my little words of saying like, Kenny, you're doing okay. I <laughs> love it. Mm-hmm. It's the best, our, our most favorite show of the
4: month. I love the round table, getting to see our buddies, hang out with them in the chat, talk up some great topics tonight.
2: Yeah, for sure. And as we get through here, definitely, if you have stuff that if you have a hot take, make sure you put it in the chat as well. We'll either throw it up on the screen or we'll put it into the podcast because I'd always love to be able to get your, uh, you know, your your thoughts and ideas and everything that's happening inside the world of whiskey. And I know that we'll dive into it. But before we do it, we'll get a little bit around the horde because we got Fred here tonight as well. So Fred, how you doing, buddy?
1: What is going on? Look, I'm just over here. So proud of you two getting up in the uh, business journal here locally and Oof. Yeah, getting all one. that press. And yeah, so we now paid everybody's. For
4: that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we did not pay for it. I'm just kidding. You,
1: you gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta allow yourself to get a compliment every now and then, Ryan. I know. It, it's okay. It's okay to say, you know, you know, uh, yeah, we're here and we're Go going on. to do it. It's all right. Well, well I, appreciate I appreciate it.
2: Appreciate. Yeah, for for anybody that didn't miss it. We finally, I guess you could say, announced it. So we are going to be opening up our own visitor experience on Whiskey Row in downtown Louisville coming at some point in the fall of 2024. So if you're looking for a reason to come to Louisville and visit, see everything whiskey and want to see exactly like what are these Pursuit Spirits boys up to? Well, we're going to have some cool new, I guess you'd say experiences going on. And then there'll probably be a small section where you can buy like an ascot or two in there as well.
1: Yeah. You'll be sitting on that stock for a while. Nobody wears them. They're always on sale.
2: <laughs> you, 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 yeah. The
1: going out of business section. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know, more like the, uh, estate sales. So it's a different kind of going out of business.
4: Here you go. Yeah. we'll we'll have commercial dishwashers on auction here in like three
2: years. <laughs> if everything goes south.
1: <laughs> yeah. You. yeah.
2: yeah. No, it's okay. I'm, I have a feeling that we're we've got a lot of cool things up our sleeves. Be able to show you all a lot of cool bourbon releases to have have there as well, and of course, you get to have a, a tasting session with none other than Ryan Cecil himself. So that's that's immediately going to be a big draw. Oh yeah, that's not that's that's a deterrent. <laughs> well, we'll get into another day, but let's go ahead and let's jump in with this. But let's go to introduce the other two guys that are here tonight, and we'll start with Nick.
5: Hey everybody, good to be on again. It's been a little while for me, but Nick with and Bourbon, uh, some say the best looking guy of the bunch, but Ooh, that's me order. and maybe a few other people. But uh, anyways, no, g- glad to see everybody. i um, looking forward to tonight's topics. So I sense a little bit of disagreement, which I feel like is not typically what we have going on on here. So I think that might be kind of fun. It's all about bringing the heat. Who's got the hot takes and who can convince me that I'm wrong? Which if you're
2: talking to my wife, it's 99.9% of the time.
5: <laughs>
0: and Brian, go ahead. Hey, thanks, guys. Happy to be on number 83. Good uh, good topics here, too. Uh, Brian with sipping Corn, Bourbon Justice, all that jazz. You all know it.
2: You all know it. Well, let's go ahead and let's get into it a little bit. So one of the things that I kind of thought about this, and, and really it's something that we've seen in a trend that's been happening recently, is a lot of just talking about finishes and that's really kind of what the topic of all today's show are and all the individual subtopics are all just about finishes and if you hadn't had a chance yet there was a really good article that came out last week on vine pair by Aaron Goldfarb that kind of talk about how bourbon is becoming what beer and crap craze was where they are chasing like this pastry stout where everything was infused or done something differently because nobody just wants a regular lager anymore people just wanted crazy things now that kind of that phase is kind of turning around a little bit. You see a lot more people coming out with different types of, what should I say, just lagers and colches, And as they would say in that industry, is called beer-flavored beer. But one of the things that I've always found interesting and is the, the idea of a cigar batch or a cigar blend. We've talked about it before on the show where we kind of give... Uh, and should I say, we probably with, with all due credit was giving Nancy Fraley really the the pioneering effort behind this of coming out with the Joseph Magnus cigar blend. And this was back in the days when uh, this is before Facebook, y'all, where she would talk about everything that went into the blend all on. I think it was what straight dot com. And you could go there and you could read about everything that she was doing. and And really, that was kind of like the form of where people congregated. But now things have kind of taken a turn where. Anybody is coming out with a lot of different things and they're calling it a cigar blend. It could be finished in toasted barrels. It'd be finished on baronacast. It could be finished in rum and uh, baiju or whatever it's going to be. And they're just going to call it cigar blend. So I kind of want to open up to the group and start talking about really like, should this term start seeing a slow death? Or do you think people are going to really latch on to it? And people can just call whatever they want to call us a guard blend, or does there need to be some guardrails that needs to be put up to I don't want to say save the name, but at least kind of create some sort of consistency between different producers? Okay. I think there
4: needs to be oversight on all the finishing. I think <laughs> There we go. This is where I'm gonna go. Is like I think I'm I'm o I'm okay with finishing. I've come in terms with it. Uh You know, not all the finishes are particularly my favorite Amberana. but, uh, you know, there are some good finished products, some good producers doing great things. Now, I do taste things, and I get suspicious that as a, you know, someone in the industry, that they tend to start tasting artificial or added flavors, and there's this whole, you know, when you're in the finished uh, whiskey special category, there's this whole gray area of, like, Things that can happen that doesn't a consumer doesn't necessarily know. And I'm not saying brands are doing that. I just wish there was some more oversight or, uh, I guess, stringent laws on this because it, it just feels like it's pushing the boundaries of like adding artificial flavors and different color, you know, different. I get it. People don't nowadays, they don't want their whiskey to taste like whiskey. They want it to taste like a cinnamon, or they want it to taste like a, a honey bun or they want it to taste like something, but it's like, okay, if we want that, if you want, then that needs to be a flavored whiskey category. And you know, with the wood wit finishing, there's a lot of shenanigans that can go on. And anyways, uh, that that's where I, I kind of am, am leaning towards like a lot of these different finishes have just gone they've gone too far and they've kind of pushed the rim of almost artificial.
2: That's where I'm at. I like it. Brian, you inter- muted first. So why don't you go
0: ahead? Yeah. And, and I think it goes similar to what Ryan's saying, but, but I'm going to veer off a little bit, Ryan too. So cigar finish really is, or, or blend, whatever one you, uh, you want to call it, batch is something that's supposed to go well. The creator says with a, with a cigar, right? I mean, that's their goal. Some of them try to kind of overdo it and make it have cigar flavors in it. But I think the goal is to pair well with a cigar. So if if I think Ambarana goes well with a cigar, someone else, you know, does Nancy's technique of the three barrels and heavy in the yak or whatever, however she does it, and she thinks that goes better with the cigar, I don't know if it is definable um, because you can find whatever wood or, you know, whatever kind of toasted barrel or whatever, you know, third use after it's had sherry and then whatever else in it. So I don't know if it is definable. And I, and I liked uh, Matt Cusick's comment because that's where I was going to go first off is you can't even define small batch. No one's going to get around to defining cigar blend.
1: He So here's, in Brian, this is a perfect uh, you know, bounce back to you, but the reason why we're even having this conversation is because the creator of it in Magnus, Joseph Magnus, did not trademark it. They could have trademarked cigar blend, and that could have been special and unique to them. That could have been uh, the exact same thing that High West did with boo rye, you know. And I know, uh, I don't believe that High West trademarked that, but nobody touched boo rye. After High West, I mean, it, it's out there right now, but High West owns that, that nomenclature. N- n- I can't even talk. They own nomenclature. That name. Yeah, Nomenclature. Uh, so they, they own that. Like people think of High West when they think of boo So to me, uh, Joseph Magnus created this. Nancy Fraley is one of the greatest blenders, not just of a, of the current generation, but of all time. She is an amazing blender, and anyone who uh, disputes that, well, then they just don't know whiskey. And What she did with Cigar Blend was special. It was great. And what happens when you do something great in whiskey? Everyone copies it. Everyone copies it. And if it's not copied by a brand, it's copied by a a cigar club or a whiskey club that's out there saying, well, we got the finest uh, cigar blend going over here. And then they're over there, you know, pairing it with uh, uh, Rocky Patel or or whatever. But I I think this is a this has a deeper meaning than small batch because small batch is not about the palate. It's not about like a flavor profile. Uh, If anything, the cigar blend category is has one of has potential to be one of the greater uh, signifiers of, of whiskey in American whiskey. Because if you're a cigar smoker, you know, what pairs well with cigars and like, you know what you like. And so I, I think what's missing in this whole thing is that they're not really defining what style of cigar it goes with or what brand it would go with. I mean, I think there's a there's a lot of opportunity here, but there's a lot missing. But it all goes back to me with uh, Joseph Magnus not trademarking it. I just wish they would have had Brian as their lawyer to help them.
4: <laughs> but could any decision. couldn't any any bourbon or whiskey be defined as a pairing well with cigars and you don't have to have crazy finishes to signify that? I don't know that, you know, that, um,
1: you know what? I, I will tell you that there are some there are some whiskeys that just do not pair with cigars. Jack Daniels. As much as I have tried, as much as I love their barrel proof, I love Coy Hill. I love the ten-year-old, twelve-year-old. Man, that stuff does not go well with. But maybe one or two cigars. That banana note in there is just too overpowering. The majority of Barton I find hideous with with uh, with cigars. So yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I think that uh, it, it's with everything. Like to each his own, but you know, for the most part. People like that big kind of uh, rounded, spicy, forward flavor profile with a big old you know wave of uh, sweetness coming in to pair with a cigar. That's why I love. I prefer rum with my cigars anyway. When it comes to uh, when it comes to smoking with them, interesting.
5: Yeah, I tend to go higher proof as a general rule when I drink whiskey with cigars. Um, I can't say I smoke cigars that often. It's probably only two or three times a year at most. Um, the range of those cigars varies. I think the whiskey that goes with it um, is going to vary too. Uh, you know, I, I think you had a kind of novel thing. You know, kind of reaching off a of cognac with with Magnus and Nancy Fraley. I think you're seeing now that, like anything, it's it's a marketing play as much as it is a, a flavor profile kind of. Um, definition or, or goal or anything like that. So you know, it makes perfect sense that if, you know, the market is asking for it. And of course, Amirana finish right now is, you know, a very hot finish because it's still fairly limited. You're not seeing it everywhere. It's got a typically a pretty unique taste to it. Um, I would say pretty polarizing d- depending too on how strong that finish is. I get the sense that there's different opinions on it among just <laughs> this, just this group right here. Um, I've, I've had some that I've been pretty turned off from. I've had others that I, I like quite a bit. Um, so that range is definitely there. And and I don't know that we'll really see that on a really like mass production type of level, or that's going to, you know, continue to be a fairly one-off type of, you know, type of release, uh, coming through there. So even among those releases, you're going to get variation, even among a single brand is going to vary from release to release. I think that's what makes whiskey fun. That's why people like finishes is, you know, if you've kind of explored a lot of the traditional stuff and limited releases can be very difficult to get the traditional ones included, um, finishes expand that, open that door a little bit more um, for somebody that's kind of tried just about everything or even somebody that's kind of newer and isn't ready for you know that just straight up bourbon, but want something with a little sweeter profile. Maybe wine, dra- a wine finish draws them in because they like and appreciate wine, and that draws them over to whiskey. You know, so I, I guess I would disagree to some extent with um, with with you, Ryan, on that. That I I like the idea of finishing in the sense that I like the range that it provides. Um, at the same time, you do have this distilled spirit specialty, you know, kind of definition that uh, you know it does it does matter what's happening to get to that what that product is in the bottle and not everybody kind of follows that super closely so it leaves a lot of room for producers to do different things that are going to vary quite a bit from one to the next i guess i have a question
4: for just like you all or the audience here it's like okay you see magnus come out cigar and then you have you know whoever starlight or Buzzard juice then you have like all these other brands does it Is that like something that makes you like, oh, I love cigar from this. So I'm going to try that. Or I love Ambarana from that one. Like to me, I'm like, okay, they're just copying someone else. That's not exciting to me, but I guess other people think differently. I'm just curious what you all think. If you see like a company copycat, somebody that's done it 10 times before them, uh, you know, are you more apt to try it or more like roll your eyes?
1: You know, I mean, Ryan. I don't. I think it, it just take me out personally, take myself out of it, what I how I feel about and what I think about it. There's a market for it, you know, and, and there's there's a reason why, y- you know, you walk into a grocery store and the only type of books are in there are, are romance novels. You know, that's there's a market for that. No matter, there's tons of them, and so I think there's just I think there's just a flat out market for it. And People. Just, just like that anecdote that you gave when you were selling, um, you were doing a tasting and you said that uh, this whiskey, the whiskey had what note in it, you said, Ryan? And the chocolate, it had, chocolate it had a chocolate note in it and the guy thought it was a chocolate-flavored whiskey and you had to correct him.
4: Orange chocolate-flavored. Cor-
1: <laughs> that's it. And, and you had to correct him. He's like, no, it's not flavored. He's like, oh, I don't want it then. So, I mean, consumers, it, taking out the people who... Are watching this show or listening to it? This is a highly educated group of people that love this and spend way too much money on bourbon, and we love you for that, by the way. Uh, but you, you take you take those people out of the equation. Most consumers just want to be told, you know, what to like and what they what they should drink. And if they see cigar blend on there, the, all it just captures every single person who likes the occasional cigar. Oh, going golfing with my buddies. We like smoking cigars when we golf. I'm going to grab that cigar blend. So I think it's just capitalizing on the market. And for me, you know, I mean, I think all of it's bullshit marketing anyway, but that's a a story for another time. I'm done. I'll be kicking the dead horse pretty soon when we get to the barrel finishes. We're not there yet. Oh, we're already already on that. Wait, did we skip cigar blend?
2: (laughs) We're still on it. We're still on cigar blend. Okay.
1: All right. I'll wait for my dead horse kicking.
2: Okay, we'll 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 saddle them up here. Wait for you. the The other thing that I, I kind of want to look at too, with, with Ronnie brought up, is saying like, doesn't pretty much like that's why that's why we talk about bourbon and cigars going together well, is because you don't need a special blend. Like for the most part, I would say that you probably can't go wrong picking any cigar out of a lineup, one that you like, plus any whiskey some that you like and in between 90 to 120 proof, depending on if you have a light cigar or a dark cigar. I think it's a pretty good pairing to be able to say like, oh, now I got to come out with special finishes and do whatever. And that kind of just ties in with Fred is saying like, this is a lot of this is just marketing at, at the end of the day. Uh, I mean, you've seen a lot of, as I said, with Boo-Ra, you've seen a lot of different things come out. I think what they're able to do is they can say like, well, what goes well with here? Let's go ahead and do this. And that is kind of where my head's starting to think now is where Fred said, well, why didn't they trademark this? And so there's a lot of com- things coming up inside of the chat, like knows your bourbon says, come out with the campfire blend, come out with the smoked ham blend, come out like whatever it's going to be and trademark it. Now, you can't necessarily trademark the Actually, I don't know, Brian, can you patent the process to say like, if I use three, these three barrel finishes and call it this, that means you can't use these three barrel finishes or is it to say like, eh, well, you can use the three, you just can't call it whatever it is.
0: Yeah, probably not a patent, but um, because it's been done before essentially, but the the registering those trademarks, I mean, that that's the important piece here. And and when Nose Your Bourbon came up with that Campfire blend, I mean, you can, you can see that. Close your eyes. You see that on a bottle right now. Take yeah. It's taken. Yeah, campfire.
5: Oh. High West has yeah. a
1: campfire. Uh,
5: but is it trademarked? Uh, there it is. It may very well be.
1: <laughs> no I'd have now. to go to the Google confirm <laughs> that, but I think it is.
5: And it it tastes very campfirey too. It's, it's been a while since I've had it, but remember that flavor profile.
2: Well, I mean, the, the thought process behind there is like, say, I want to come out with my American cheeseburger blend. Like, how Like, how protected can that go? If somebody goes and says like, "Oh, I made a cheeseburger blend too," and I put it in a label, well, what are my what are my repercussions? I guess Brian, like, how can I go far as saying like, you can't do that? Like, that's my trademark.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you if you use it in commerce and you have registered the trademark, then that's that's part of your name, and you can use it. And you, you frankly, you have to protect it from someone else that starts putting cheeseburger on there. And then you got to get into the debate of what if they just put hamburger. Um, or what if they you know change it somehow and it's kind of similar but not so much double and cheeseburger, double cheeseburger, <laughs> double cheeseburger. Exactly. We,
2: we had the same thought, didn't yeah. we? There,
0: perfect. That's a perfect. When someone comes out with cheeseburger, you one up them, and then you've got the triple. Then you've got the exactly. you know, McDonald's go. gets in, and it's the Big Mac or it's the the Whopper or whatever else.
2: It's the Big Mick, right? We're not we're not <laughs> it's McDonald's. The Big it's we're The McDowell's. golden Arks. The golden arcs. <laughs> throwback for anybody that's watched trading spaces before <laughs> or not trading. Yeah. What was that? Was that trading? No. What was that? Coming to America. That's what it was. Thank you. <laughs> well, look, look at Maker's Mark
5: with just their uh, lawsuits where they've had to depend the drip, defend the dripping wax, which just seems when you look at that trademark, you look and say, there's nothing to even talk about here. And yet they went to court for weeks with arguments that were considered you know and and coming away from it you know they defended it they did i believe say they only defended it because it was red wax you know but i've yet to see we'll see if another bourbon producer goes and drips black wax down the neck of their bottle um i think it kind of scares everybody to say i don't want to be in a courtroom with with them trying to <laughs> get through that you know so it's one of those things it's like it's not you know it's not done till it's done and kind of never done you kind of kind of keep keep at it and after it as brian knows he's
0: yeah <laughs> uh, yeah. well and the the judge the judge in that case said you know red for sure but he basically gave a shot across the bow better not be any color dripping wax
1: and i can't tell you how many brands i get on a yearly basis that still have the red have some kind of dripping wax i just got a new slew of them from a craft distiller i'm like what do you guys I mean don't you all like
0: Google anything, you know, <laughs> read Bourbon Justice for once, people. For goodness sake, they everyone should read that book,
5: Fred. That was those were whiskey bottles that had
1: it, they were whiskey bottles. Yeah, I, I mean, if I was in my office, I would just go to my office and grab them and show them to you. But I mean, I get so many packages, I have no idea what I got. I don't know what it is, but it was it had a wax, it was dripping.
5: Yeah, you see it a lot on, on beer bottles that and craft beer, you're seeing it quite a bit, but I don't believe they're covered in the trademark if i maybe brian you know that offhand well i I
0: remember benny's last year i think it was just last year maybe the year before had a barrel-aged stout that they used dripping red wax and it hit social media and everybody's like oh what about makers and then sure enough it was off the off the shelves Hmm. and came came back without wax Mm
2: -hmm. interesting that's a lot of work to
0: (laughs) unwax some bottles
2: Or they just redipped it in
3: another color. Yeah.
2: You're like, all right, guys, we're having an office party
4: here. Just, to- <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm just thinking through on this whole topic, but you know, but then it comes back to like, well, we're all just doing the same thing because we're taking corn and wheat, barley, or corn rye barley, and putting it in a charred oak barrel. And I'm like, so we're all doing the same thing in that sense. But I guess it's just something about it when they're like, it's a cigar or an amberana in. 50 people come out saying they're innovating and doing that. It just like makes me roll my eyes. I don't know. It's like, I don't know. That's the, that's the thing where I'm at with it, but essentially we're all doing the same thing anyway. So maybe I shouldn't. And I just,
2: ambron and cigars or batches are great. You know, no, it's, it's not that it's just, there's, it's really hard to do something and put your, your stamp and say like, this is our technology. This is our process. Like this is something that nobody else can replicate. Anybody can replicate anything that's happening in the space. Is it going to be the same exact thing? Absolutely not because of all the different environmental factors that come into it. But you're right. The bad thing is is that there's no way to protect anything. So if you do come out with something that's truly innovative, truly different, then by the nature of what it is, we say that we have to put exactly like what's on the label and everything like that. Anybody can go and replicate it. Plus, the way that today's consumer really works is that, well... People want to know about it. People want to know exactly how you got there, what you did. So you have to talk about it. And so your secret's out there in the open anyway. So it's not hard for anybody to sit there and take something that you've built, something that you think that, oh, this is something that's truly special, unique to us that nobody else can do. Well, uh, unfortunately, people are going to try to
5: take your mousetrap and tweak it to make it a little bit better or to make it their own. Yeah, but a counter argument to that too. I mean, look at Cola, look at Coke and Pepsi. I mean, arguably pretty much the same. But people have, I think, a real connection. Some people have a real connection with one brand or the other. I'd say that's as much, if not more so, with with bourbon, with whiskey. You know, So if somebody, if you make a connection or the brand makes a connection with somebody and it may, maybe it's not the first one that has existed, it could be similar, but it's maybe the first one they've had or they feel connected to that brand for some reason, I got to believe there's a strong you know, there's going to be a strong ability for that person to, or for that brand to maintain that connection with the person. I mean, just thinking about what you guys are doing on Whiskey Row or what you're going to be doing on Whiskey Row. Somebody goes through and does that, they're that's going to create a stronger connection with the brand than just going and picking up a bottle off the shelf, you know? And it's going to be those kinds of things that, you know, ultimately define and I think make that difference. And that's what people are looking for with whiskey. They're not just looking for any product off the shelf, the lowest cost. You know, you're not going and looking at like unit pricing, We're not this group on this chat, you know, watching right now. No one's doing that. People are looking for like the X factor that's kind of hard to define. And even though you have a lot of people doing maybe something that's similar, that X factor, I think, almost can't be repeated. And so a lot of it's just kind of establishing that, making that connection with people and then holding it and continuing to put out a good product, continuing to keep people's trust, be honest, like all those things that people in the community respect that you got to earn and you got to keep. I think that's the important thing. Finishing, not finishing doesn't matter.
1: All right, Nick, Pepsi and Coke are not the same, (laughs) not even close. (laughs) I mean, you have the, the, the beautiful angel of Coca-Cola and and all the joy it brings you. And you walk into a restaurant and you know, you're in a good restaurant if they serve Coca-Cola, but then they, then you walk in there and they serve Pepsi and it's like someone has just taken your soul, thrown it <laughs> on the ground, and stomped on it. Ugh. Oh, hey, yeah.
2: I, I like PepsiCo products. Ooh, so. see,
1: <laughs> well, I mean Mountain Dew, right? You're a Mountain Dew guy.
2: Uh, Pepsi's gross. Oh, right. Get, get over it. Pepsi. I will. I will die in this hill, and I will always say that Seven Up is better than Sprite, hands down. Uh, so okay, that's well, the, that's that's, well, that's the PepsiCo product that I will similar. die on that hill.
5: So I agree. I agree with you, Fred. But what I'm, what I'm saying is on the surface it's very much the same product, but when you take that factor of like seeing that brand and what it means, that means, I mean, that means something to people. And I think by, by and large, you know, you could argue if you tasted one and then, and weren't really like a daily drinker and then a month later tasted the other, I'm not sure many people would be able to tell the difference. They'd say it's Cola. I, guess.
1: Well, I, I will <laughs> say that I always find Pepsi to be flat. Like wherever I get it, I guess Ooh. I'm getting it at the wrong places. It's just not, it's just not that fizzy. So yeah, for me, it's about All the right. biz and Coke is always packing.
4: I guess where I'm at, it's like, okay, does that, like you do doing the, tr- the, the finish or trend that everyone else does. Does that build brand longevity with customers or are they just trying it because it's Amber on or because it's cigar or because it's toasted or. This and that, like, hold on. Before
2: we get to there, we have to have a tiebreaker. So, Blake, is it Pepsi or Coke? Like,
3: what do you go with? (laughs) You know, I just I heard the word Amberana out of Ryan's mouth, and I just (laughs) felt like I needed to come and weigh in on my opinion on this. So, um, I mean, it's it's Coke all day if if we're going based. (laughs) All right, Team Coke. You know, but I mean, Pepsi's fine. It's good. But y- yeah, have I ever drank a bourbon and Pepsi? Not if unless I was forced to. So it's uh, <laughs> it's bourbon and Coke on that one.
2: Oh, there we go. All right, Ryan, what do you want to finish up your thought there with?
4: Oh, I was just saying like, okay, you have, you know, the the trend or whatever. Does that build brand longevity? And I'm just thinking out loud. Like I'm not making judgments one way or the other. I'm just curious. Like if... You love Ambrana and you, you want to try like the twenty brands that do it. Do you do you become a loyal fan of that brand because of an Amberana finish, or is it just because it's Amberana finish that you're trying it? Like, I guess from a brand's perspective, is that going to bring someone in that they're going to be with, uh, you know, same with cigar, or are they just chasing the Amberana cigar or whatever finish?
3: I I would say, I would say yes. I mean, at least from you know what we see on Sealbox somebody has something that they like and want to try and they'll try a new brand because of it, you know, whether that's high proof, Umbrana, you you know, even toasted was the big one a little bit ago where people were like, Oh, I got to try something, a a toasted barrel. And so they try new brands become of it because of that and would become fans. I mean, I think Penelope did a great job with, with that of acquiring people based off of, you know, certain things or trends or whatever it may be. And then people are like, oh, I, I really love this brand. I love what they're doing. And th- they make great bourbon.
5: So, and you're on a finish. I'm curious of the group and actually people in the chat too, fans of it, not fans of it. I'm so far in the camp of enjoying it. The ones I've had, aside from a few I've liked, how about y'all? Where do y'all fall on it? I mean, Ryan and I have been
2: pretty adamant that we're not fans of anything on Baron. it's been hard to find ones that are uh I mean they they it's for us it's like it's a very much a a gingerbread kind of like allspice uh, it's like this is this would taste great during Christmas but I can only have one of them that's about it yeah to me it it's in the flavored whiskey category it
4: doesn't taste like bourbon finished in anything it tastes like flavored whiskey which is fine but I just feel like it needs to be in a whole different category
3: (laughs) Well, and, and so what I compare it to is, is peated. It's, it's the closest I think we have to peated and bourbon as anything else.
2: By the way, let's make sure we, we set the stage. It's not like a flavor of peated. It's like changing the liquid so much that it is a completely different flavor profile. Go
3: drink, um, Lagavulin next to McCollin. They're both scotches, but you know, it's, it's drastically different, and, and it's polarizing too. You know, the the joke is always, "Well, I don't want to drink an ashtray," but some people love peated scotch, and and that's fine. That's their preference, and I think that's the closest we've got on the American whiskey side in recent memory because we're not smoking a lot of things, or at least it hasn't caught on. But you know, I think it's there are two pretty pretty large pools of people. Like some people love ambrana, some people think they hate it. I mean we see it where people are like I tried this the bottle's obviously tainted um it's like well have you ever had ambrana before it's like no no I've never had it it's terrible though <laughs> so but I think that's kind of the fun part it's it's you know expanding the market and and just putting a new little spin on it but that that's my take
0: i'm i'm fine with it it's it's not it's not the bourbon that i'm looking for but i like it as something different so i kind of put it in a in a, dif- in a different category and frankly i i kind of like the bourbons that have more tobacco and leather kind of the older more backbone type bourbons anyhow um yeah, i've kind of gravitated that way so i'm fine with it but i, I think it'll it'll be something that passes and Fred to be the tiebreaker here.
1: So, um, moving on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, it, you, I, I don't. I don't remember when we re- we recorded this, uh, but I, I kind of talked about it. But the the TTB is looking into this wood and asking the question as to whether or not it's actually been harvested legally. A lot of the stuff that's coming over here. Uh, Brazil has not done the best job of protecting its, its rainforest. They do the best they can, but people go in and sneak in and, and cut down trees they shouldn't. And there's a, there's a fear that a lot of this uh, wood that is in, is used for cachaça, but they do it. They harvest the right trees. They use the right barrels. There's been a lot of reporting on this over the years. Uh, but the TTB is, according to a couple sources of mine are looking into whether or not a lot of the wood that's been being used in whiskey is being used. Uh, it actually is, has been harvested legally. So I think that this could be one of the biggest fads in, in American whiskey. Once, once uh, whatever, if, if, if someone's been acquiring barrels illegally or something like that, I think you, you're going, you're going to see the end of it. But in terms of the flavor profile, Boy, I'll tell you. When I first tasted it, um, I was like, "What the hell is this shit?" You know, uh, I, I thought for sure it was somebody had flavored it, but it didn't have that flavory kind of chemical feel on the palate. And I think, I think it has its place if if it can if it can be um, preserved, you know, properly. But I don't like it. I, I haven't had one that I was just like, oh wow. The only one that I've seen that uh kind of wowed me was the was the combo one. Was it uh, was a Penelope Rio that was a combo? Yeah, that that was that was solid. So
3: Rio prices just doubled. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Yep>. <laughs> there it is. I don't know about that. It's already doing quite well.
5: That one then they tame that kind of the funk that you get with the Amurana that's the off. The off-putting, because I've got... Yeah. I hate to say it like a... I've never had this before, but like a manure flavor sometimes with it, which is kind of bizarre.
1: Well, as a connoisseur of manure, I will tell you. (laughs) um,
5: Oh, buddy. (laughs) Grew up on a farm.
1: Anybody anybody grew up around animals, it happened at least... But that's
5: a weird... You got to admit, that's a weird tasting, though, for whiskey. And I've, I've had that on multiple occasions, and Penelope Rio tamed that aspect of it which i think when it goes too far it it gets really into that just too earthy territory and they kind of tamed it with sweet notes
1: it absolutely does follow the uh it does follow the 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 track of a scotch you know like uh and the uh you know an 8 to 12 year old isla that um or a blend that has a lot of isla in it it does have some of that kind of like uh, super earthy, which if you, if you look through a lot of Scotch writers, you know, notes, you will see goat shit come up from time to time. So it's a, it's an official note and, um, and their vernacular.
4: Okay. Yeah. I guess so. I just need, I had honey barrels to my Scotch. Maybe I'll like it. <laughs> there you go.
1: I mean, look, I, that's the one that's the, you know, when we talk about barrel finishes, sign me up for more honey barrels, like real honey barrels. I can't get enough of those things. I love them.
4: They're good, and some of them, you can tell they left a ton of honey in them, but the ones that are good, you can tell that, that like it, it, they did a great job of balancing where it's not just so overly honey. Like The
2: Bell Mead ones are
4: fantastic to
2: me. It, it goes back into what you said at the very beginning, Ryan, of we need to have oversight or they need yeah, to yeah. some I'm, sort I'm, of guidelines. I'm, I'm all for finishing. I
4: think they're fun. I, I love the flavors they bring out. Sometimes they just go to... They, the ones that I taste that people say, taste like a cinnamon or taste like honey. And I'm like, I think there's something in there that makes it taste like a cinnamon <laughs> or a honey bun, not just the wood finishing. That's all I'm saying. And I don't, I'm not saying people are doing that. It just kind of feels that way. And there needs to be some oversight or guidance on it. That's all i say. It's
2: the uh, Boy Scout, you know, Scott, uh what was it? Scott, what, was it something on her.
0: Scott's honor. Thank
2: yeah. you. Scott's honor. I was like, wait a minute. What am I talking about? all right uh without going too much i know we're hitting a little bit at the top of the hour here at some things but i'm going to kind of dive into this second one here real quick and i want to kind of talk about more finishes but we're starting to see a lot of top tier distilleries release some of their limited time offerings they're ones that are once a year kind of things that are coming out and their finishes uh most notably the latest one has, of course been wild turkey with their rum finish Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. shopify.com slash bourbon. We're starting to see a lot of top tier distilleries release some of their limited time offerings. They're ones that are once a year kind of things that are coming out. And their finishes, Uh, most notably the latest one has, of course, been Wild Turkey with their rum finish. We've started seeing this from a bunch of different distilleries out there. And so I kind of look at this and I'm thinking, I get it. We talk about finishing being innovative, but a lot of these companies have deep stocks of bourbon. Why not just create a really, really good batch of 10 to 17-year-old bourbon and not finish it? like what why is why is finishing having to say like this is what's going to demand that LTO.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you why because Jimmy Jimmy Russell and Jim Rutledge, those are not the people in in the meetings making these decisions anymore. The distillers, the actual real distillers, the people making the whiskey have completely lost their voices in these companies. These companies are now ran entirely for the most part marketers, MBA people, brand managers, uh, people who are just, you know, are tapping into a, a market of craze and craving for American whiskey. But for the most part, they don't care about the educated consumer. They care about that new consumer. And it's also It's another press release. It's another opportunity to get an influencer to go, hey, I got this bottle here. Now I'm going to go camping and look at my nice knife. Ooh, in a saddle, blah, blah, blah. You know, this is all it is uh, about. It's it's about like new flash. It's a new look. And we have, the distillers have lost the room. There might be one or two distilleries of large scale where the distillers are still holding fork. And keeping the whiskey safe from marketers kind of dictating to them.
2: Yeah. And before we go, I want to give just a a saving thing is that, of course, DJ from Rare Bird said, well, because Masters Keep series is all about experimentation, which is fine. Uh, And then, but I also put that analogous to something like Parker's Heritage. We can all probably say with an affinity that some of the best Parker's releases were not their finished whiskeys. And so I would look at it and I would say, go find better barrels and just release that and and do it right. Because the finishing craze, like you could put that under any different label because I just, I don't want to, I'll take it out of the beer thing. It's like, I, if I want to buy a $150 bottle or a $200 bottle, like I want bourbon flavored bourbon. Like I just want my, uh, a true, really, really good bourbon, but. Maybe I'm just part of the minority now. And and that whole consumer
5: mindset has shifted. But I think you're getting that too, though. I mean, Heaven Hill, look at the Elijah Craig barrel-proof batches. They're pretty damn good. The Larceny barrel-proof batches, pretty damn good. I mean, Russell's Reserve, the higher age, the limited release stuff, Four Roses, their blends, their limited release blends. I mean, a lot of even just the the normal stuff. I mean, you know pick up a russell's tenure they're they're always really good i mean one of my favorites to your point kenny uh parker's heritage promise of hope just fantastic i mean and the argument was it's it's henry mckenna and it's four proof less you know which was interesting because that was like technically what it was but whatever pulling those barrels those barrels were just fantastic and and it was across you know all the barrels i had at least it's not like it varied from barrel to barrel um So I think that's there too. I think it's just somewhat some of all of the above strategy and they don't always have, you know, a big lot of that really fantastic Parker's Heritage Promise of Hope, you know, 10 year to put out and, you know, you'd like, let's try something different with it because that's what the market's asking for today too. I Granted, I agree with Fred from the marketing people across the board, but that's also what what's driving people's attention, what brings people to the brand. And then, you know, these big Kentucky brands, shit, man, anything they have on the shelf daily is fucking fantastic whiskey. I mean, it's very, very good straight bourbon if that's what you're after. And you don't have to spend an arm and a leg for it either. You don't need a limited release. That's why I tell people you're new. Don't spend more than 50, 60 bucks on any bottles. Buy 10, 20 bottles under that price before you go over it because it's just not necessary. You're going to find a ton, get to know the Kentucky majors, get to know the stuff that's out there all the time before you're chasing the stuff that's unique or seems fun and all that kind of thing. You're not going to appreciate it. You're not going to know what you like until you get kind of that baseline.
0: Yeah. And thank God for four roses, you know, not finishing anything, no frills and maybe they have more flexibility, you know, they'll at least say that with their recipes, but, but the, the art of blending uh, the different recipes and the single barrel program is still firing on all cylinders after kind of a hiccup on not having all 10 available. I mean, that's where you go. If you want true Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey is I think right now four roses. Yeah. I I just
4: want like Parker's blended match bill is one of my favorite releases promise of hope. The four lo- roses limited editions are consistently, and it's because they're letting the whiskey in the wood, do the it's not finishing adding the flavor. It's just people with good palates going in there picking good barrels and putting them in the bottle. And those are the by far you can't put any cigar bill in or amber on of this or that over that to me. And that's just what I want as a consumer, but I know I'm in the minority these
2: days, but I sure do miss those. <laughs> no, you're not in the minority. I mean, that's the, well, maybe we are but my thought process was and i'm not i'm not poking any one thing i guess i'm probably poking probably the big six because of course they have uh, you know we'll say a million barrels to go choose from so that gives them the opportunity to go and choose a lot of different things and so when you see somebody come out with a limited edition that's a finished something from one of these large companies i look at it and i go is that all you got like like i know you've got really good whiskey like let the whiskey Speak for itself, and that's where it, it, I mean. Gosh, there was, uh, of course. I think um, Matt Cusick. He's been on fire tonight, by the way, in the, the comments, and he he says, "I hate to say it, but that's why I appreciate Knob Creek eighteen and the Beam seventeen year Hardens Creek probably so much is because of all of the effort that went in just to make sure that we have really good whiskey to put in these particular bottles." Now. Is this a, a one-off because, oh, well, of course, it's 18 years old. Are you going to go finish 18-year-old whiskey? It may be, probably not. But I guarantee you, even if you wanted to come out with a small batch product, and by the way, who does it the best every single year and sells out all the time? Michter's 10-year. 10-year bourbon Everybody from these large organizations, they all have ten-year bourbon, but what does Mictors do best? They choose really good barrels and they have yet to really just come out with a dud. Every single time it's great, but you don't see them going like, well, I guess we got to wine finish this thing now and and come out with this. So I have a feeling that it's just like, it comes down to figuring out like who's going to make the call on figuring out like, do we preserve what we want to put forth as limited edition whiskeys and should they be finished? In my opinion, if you're a large company and you've got over a million barrels in inventory, I think you can find some barrels that you can put out a really good product with. Even if you said this is the best seven and a half year old whiskey that we've ever put out. Let me try it before you finish it in a rum cask. Cause I guarantee you, there's a lot of people out there that are just like us that want to just try really, just really, really good bourbon. All right, am I, should I get off my high horse? Am I, I came or?
1: in. I came in late for that, but uh, that that was awesome. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm tired of the finishes. I mean, it's been like a it's been like kicking a dead horse for me. I don't like how they are marketed. I think it jeopardizes the the state of bourbon, and I I think it I think it really does the way they put it on the label. I think it violates the I think it violates what we consider bourbon under the federal code. And at some point there's going to be another country that says, well, it's going to start making bourbon. And they're like, Hey, well you don't even respect bourbon in your own country. Why should we respect your definition? So I feel like that's going to happen one of these days and it's happened. It's actually happened, but the other distillers have backed down in Sweden and in uh, South Africa, but it's, it's a dangerous slippery slope and people are, m- marketers are just doing it so they can uh, capitalize on skews and get more shelf space. But the fact is, you know, I really did like that wild turkey rum finish. I really did. I liked it a lot, but did I want to taste the wild turkey by itself? Abso- friggin' lootly. Absolutely. I did. And I think that's the I think that's the problem. Some of these finishes are really spectacular; they really are. But do we know if the bourbon before it was finished was better? We don't. And I think at some point we have to have a little hope that there are distillers out there still doing a good job and not just dumping, you know, sugar packs in there. But it's it's um, the whole category is in some ways a shit show because. You know, you got people doing four and five finishes now. And that's just, that's beyond crazy. As soon as you pass
2: three, that's too much for Fred. He's like, eh, that's it. I'm out. <laughs>
1: pretty much, pretty much.
5: <laughs> no. Nick, do you have one more thing to chime in here? I was going to pose a question to y'all. Uh, kind of talking about brands and, and, and what they're doing and so forth. You know, do you guys feel like, and for anybody in the chat too, do you guys feel like the industry generally you know when we look at producers distillers do you feel like they generally as a whole more uphold what bourbon is and uphold the good things and kind of self regulate or do you feel like we've mo you know a lot don't and we're we're really moving to like kind of the wild west in terms of what's allowed to happen where do you think we you got where do you guys think we are on that spectrum of self regulate honor things and that versus now it's starting to get to the point of being too far.
1: By the way, great question. Great question, Nick. Uh, Five years ago, I'd say that it's still very much protected. They still have uh, very much have their own. um, They have the category in mind, but a lot of the old guard has retired. And, you know, and, and I don't just see it in just like these barrel finishes. I see it with how they market products. There, there was a time that you would, you would never see a brand uh, taking a picture of a child or a family or something like that next to a bottle of bourbon, uh, because of the implications that could have down the road with the federal code of not marketing to children or marketing with children. But yet you see that on social media all the time, even to the point of advertising a distillery tour as family friendly. And while there's nothing in itself wrong with that. It's still a violation of the federal advertising code. So I see it not just in how the whiskey is made, but how whiskey is marketed and how social media has made it very easy for people to slip up. So I think there is a lot of people with good intentions out there and their intentions are to capture a market for the most part, but they often are naive to what is permitted. And what um, what can really shut down a company and and for another point, uh, an entire industry. So if you're not careful, you could get tagged for like you know drinking irresponsibly. There's all kinds of things that's happening on social media, and I just feel like we are moving away from people that did act as guardians, and now people like Brian, myself, Kenny, and Ryan. Yeah, you, know, you all have a your own brand now, so you can't really say you're a guardian anymore. You're a guardian for your yourself. Uh, you're, I feel you're like you're
4: I'm not- even more of a guardian because what I, I well, see everything I going on now.
1: But what like- I was I was trying to say, like an independent like blogger or podcaster. Or so yeah. now now you all are a brand, you're more in the trade guardian. But like and Nick, you all are too. But the you know, we are like we are the ones that are caring of like what is what is like uh responsible. And I feel like the brands don't, don't do that anymore. Five years ago, they did. And, you know, and, the, and the Kentucky Distillers Association and the Distilled Spirits Council, I feel like they're so focused about repealing taxes and things like that, which are very important. But I feel like they're really losing sight of a lot of the responsibility things and protecting what bourbon is. That's all I got.
0: Perfect. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, TTB loosened things up during COVID. They didn't loosen up the, you know, they were going to define barrel size and all that kind of stuff. So they, you know, they, 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 they've got this kind of back and forth that they're going through. They're, you know, allowing all this finished stuff and messing with what you can say on, on age and and adding that. Um, it's kind of herky jerky to me. Um, I just don't know what, what way they're heading, but overall, I sense that, it, as a, just using Fred's time frame of five years ago, it's a lot more loosey goosey now.
2: No, well, Nick, I think we probably need to take this question to the next roundtable because I think we can dive in
5: probably more. We'll have we'll have different answers for you in a month as well. Yeah, it's one to think on. It just inspired it as we were talking. I have not thought about that before. Starting to think of, you know, some of the, you know, the master distillers of the modern day, many of whom are now aged out, have either passed away or no longer really involved with many of them, knew each other through the trade through decades and decades. And now we're seeing that kind of change over and we're, of course, seeing the impact of social media and everything on top of that, which is, it's an interesting dynamic. It's a, a question I've not posed to myself yet, but that could be a whole whole round. <laughs> well, like I said, we'll wait for that for the next time.
2: I think we've we've touched on a lot tonight. I think that the, the finished debate will continue for a few more years to come, and we'll see how crazier it's going to continue to go over this time. And it's up to you, the consumer, to kind of be the one that dictates... Where this is gonna go? Ask is questions. It, ask questions. Hold people. Hold people
4: accountable. I, I said this. I think to you the other day, Kenny. It's like we need an episode where somebody from the somebody who understands or is with the TTB that we can present to them anonymously labels that have this certain things on them, and be like, does this qualify as what it says it is? you tell us you know and we just read up we won't say the brand we just read what's on the label and be like is this what it says it is and is it qualified for that you're gonna need the
0: voice distortion in the shadow <laughs> <figure>. <laughs> yep. yeah
5: 60 minutes episode is that the- <laughs>
0: yeah
1: so i have a i have a contact the ttb they're always uh they're always willing to talk on the phone, but they never want to go on zoom or camera or anything like that. And they're, and they are very rigid, um, with the responses. But I mean, I, I think that TTB gets beat up far too much for the amount of people that they have. I think they do a great job with the resources they have. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's a TTB fault at all. This is the producers that are trying to
2: push the envelope of regards of like, like how, like, it's like everything else in life. You go, what can I get away with? And that's pretty much what producers are doing because how do you vie for attention? You try to look and say, what's the craziest thing I can come up with that's going to get eyeballs on me? All right. Now, how do we make this legal?
1: When they when they were deregulating the alcohol industry or attempting to, Norman Hayden, who was the president of then uh, Old Fitzgerald Distillery, testified before Congress in uh, 1982, 1983, and he said that the whiskey industry will begin to deceive consumers if you take away the relationship that the whiskey distillers had with the government at that time, which there there was an operator there all the time with lock and key, and they made sure there were no massive errors, like accidentally dumping bourbon in with rye. And there was a time that... If a distiller said that they were the best-selling bourbon, they had to prove it before a closed TTB hearing or then, you know, the alcohol, um, uh, it was even before the ATF, it the Department of Revenue. But so this stuff has been, this stuff has slowly been getting away from being truthful and honest and legit since the time that they deregulated the alcohol industry. And it started with tax stamps and we've lost, so much since then. And while people are always like, well, we don't want government in here. You know, the fact is, is that that actually means transparency. And that means no one's dicking around with your whiskey. So.
2: Well, let's, uh, I, I love the passion. I think this is probably one thing that has stirred out of all this is that people can probably understand exactly where, where we come from. Uh, I feel that everybody that's on this round table is somebody that's gotten into bourbon for bourbon we didn't come into it because we tried some other flavored finished whiskey it's like we we really liked the the pure product as what it is and maybe it maybe it just is like a it's a hard thing to realize is that like what we love might be slowly fading away because of just the trends in bourbon and maybe that's something we have to realize and maybe we'll <laughs> we'll take that to our, our therapist at some point <laughs> what but-
4: <laughs> Why? Why are they coming out with the number Ambarado? I can't <laughs> know
3: what it, I don't
2: want it. <sighs> All right, let's go ahead. Let, let's close it out. Uh, I want to say thank you all for, for joining in this. This is another fun conversation. I guess if you want to get us really heated talking about things, we'll talk about finished whiskey because that is that is something that I feel that is a very poignant and debatable topic in regards of where can the industry go and how far can it go. But before we say our sign offs, I'll let the guys down below me do theirs so they can give a plug for everything they're doing. So
5: Nick, we'll start with you first yeah uh this was a fun this was a fun chat guys um nick breaking bourbon find us at breaking bourbon.com uh at breaking bourbon all the socials uh reviews uh news release calendar
0: y'all know where to find us so uh
5: great comments and uh great chatting with y'all
0: tonight yeah thanks guys brian with sip and corn bourbon justice and shout out to my favorite glass of the past couple of of uh weeks here it's the bourbon pursuit big ass glass i mean i'm almost tempted sometimes to put a cube in here because it would fit and i don't know if that makes me a bad person or not but if you can't as long as you don't finish the glass and on barana we'll be okay yeah, with it. Right. you're,
1: you're <laughs> awful now brian you're awful. i,
0: I know i'm off i'm you're off the, does. i'm off the bcr now but thanks guys cheers everyone
4: what happened to blake <laughs> he just came in for like
0: oh like he, yeah he kept and, the streak
2: and, yep But there you go. Blake is Blake already said his goodbyes. But uh, again, thank you all so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for everybody that was on the chat. A lot of good uh, banter back and forth, especially between all us here. So I love to be able to see that a lot of good takes everywhere else. So make sure you follow bourbon pursuit, wherever you get your podcast, subscribe to us, wherever it is, sign up for our newsletter, sign up for pursuit spirits newsletter. You can hear more about all this crap that we're opening downtown, that we're going to have so much cool shit to be able to talk about. And of course, follow us, write a review and also go follow our friend Fred Minnick over here on all of his channels because we all need the love and we've got a lot of more bourbon content to always put out there as well. But with that cheers everyone. We'll see you next time. Faka sucks. Toodles. Cheers. Cheers.